Thanks for checking out the Lift Church podcast. On this week's episode, Pastor Steve starts a three-part series on the end times called Signs. If you're looking for more content or information, check us out at liftchurch.com. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. And as you're getting turned there, keep your finger there. We're gonna spend most of our time in these next three weeks in Matthew chapter 24. People have been saying, oh, he's gonna talk about Revelation. Very little, Uh, and not today at all. But Matthew chapter 24, and then I do want to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter four. So if you can find that as well. We are choosing not to put scriptures on the screen because I believe the church today needs to get back into the Bible. Uh, it's, it's, I know, helpful sometimes, but I wanna push engagement. So get your phone, get a couple of apps up so that you can read along with me. And we're going to be spending the next three weeks, we typically rotate with our team, but uh, I'm taking the next few weeks in the month of July, give our teaching team a break, but also just the continuity of the messages. There's so much to say about the end times, and that's what we're going to be looking at. We've entitled this series, Signs, and uh, I just want you to know that in these three messages, today we're gonna kind of define what the end times are so that you understand them. Next week, I wanna talk to you about the government in end times and what that looks like and why I take such a strong strong stance, especially in an election year, that when you walk through these doors, we check all of that at the doors because we focus on the government of God. And we're gonna talk about why we do that next week. And then the final message will be talking about that you and I become signs of the end times as the church. And there's expectations upon our lives that we need to embrace and take hold of. And so you need all three of these messages. Now in about 90 minutes, there's no way I can cover all end times teaching. So tomorrow night, I am going to do a dig deeper Zoom meeting. If you get emails from the church, you got one yesterday with a link. And tomorrow night, we're going to look at Old Testament prophecy about the second coming of Christ. I believe we're in the end times and I'm gonna share with you why. It's not because COVID-19 is here. That's not the sign. It can be a sign, but I'm gonna share with you why I am confident we are in the end times right now. And I'm gonna share that with you right in just a few moments. But tomorrow night, we're going to, we're going to meet at eight o'clock on Zoom. We're gonna dig deeper. I'm gonna show you some Old Testament passages. And uh, if you do not, get the church emails, email me right now, steve at liftchurch.com. I'll send you that link so that you can join us for a a lengthier conversation if you're interested tomorrow night about end times prophecy and looking at the Old Testament. So Matthew chapter 24, are you there? Let me just read a few verses right now and then we'll keep coming back to this and looking at some things today and in the coming weeks. Verse one says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. 
As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, now get the picture, they're walking through. Those of you that have been to Israel know that the Temple Mount, and just off the Temple Mount, there is a, a cemetery, there's a valley, and the Mount of Olives is the next rise that comes up. So they go to the Mount of Olives, and while they're on the Mount of Olives, looking at what Jesus has just said, all these stones are going to come toppling down. The disciples came to him privately and and tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? We're gonna stop right there for just a moment. How many of you have a picture in your mind or can picture that caricature or that comic about the guy on a city street with a sandwich sign that says the end is near? We've all seen that, right? Or maybe like you in the town, I planted a church. It, there, there were a, a group of believers who would stand on one of the party corners in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and they would preach to us as we were driving by with their signs, the end is near. I never really understood why people who preach about the end being near seems so angry when they're preaching that message. Have you ever noticed that? There's just so much condemnation. Now, I've never been called to be a street preacher. Uh, I'm not good at it. I, I, I think that it has value. I think it has purpose. But I've always wondered, why are you so angry while you're preaching from the street. And those of you that are watching online, I want you to know today that as I'm speaking this message, you might not be able to see it, but there's a smile on my face because I believe the end is near and I think the signs are present. One of our board members, as we've been praying and working through this season of how we come back together, on June the 20th, Larry Seth wrote me an email and it was an encouragement and he said these words and I think that they apply not just in this moment but they apply in the moments of our lives and specifically I wanna apply this to thinking about the end times. He wrote and I quote, our challenge in times of threat is not to focus on what might become a reality but rather to focus on what we can count on being true. I like that. Too many times people are working through supposition, they're working through what might be. And I want you to know that in talking about the end times, it seems to me there's so many prophecy teachers that when they tell the story, you think that they have an inside track that you and I don't get when we read the scripture. It seems like they have the ability to say, this is gonna happen and that's going to happen. As a matter of fact, if you're looking for end times prophecy, just go to YouTube and type it in. And I want you to know there's a plethora of people who are getting a, a fresh word from the Lord right now. And I say that tongue in cheek because you gotta be careful. If you start listening to end time prophecies from Anybody that comes along, the Bible warns that there will be false prophecies that come. There will be false teachers that will come. And I hope in these three messages, you realize that your pastor, he puts his feet on the floor. He holds himself there. I don't get out and speculate. Now, tomorrow night at eight o'clock, we're gonna do some what ifs, 
but we're not going to try to figure out when Jesus will come, but look at prophecy as what is being fulfilled. And I think there's a difference. I heard a, a preacher, somebody sent me, I had multiple people send me this link, so I listened to these two prophecies, and I was so disappointed at the end of this prophecy to hear this guy say, you need to stockpile your food and get your ammunition ready. And I'm like, what kind of preacher tells you to get your, your storehouse intact and then build an arsenal so you can protect it? I'm like, what are we thinking and so we, we need to understand the times. Now, Matthew, in his writing, I think wants us to see two comings. You know that Christ came to the earth. We celebrate Christmas, right? There was the coming of Christ. The Old Testament kind of gives us this overview of the law and the prophets. And then there's this silent intertestamental period and Matthew demonstrates in the first half of his gospel how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that Christ the Messiah was coming. But at about chapter 16 there's this shift and, and we see the life of Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy in the first coming. But at chapter 16, there's a moment when the, the Pharisees are testing Jesus. And Jesus has a conversation with the disciples. And he asks them this question. Who do people say that I am? And this becomes a hinge point. This becomes the moment where everything Matthew is showing fulfills the prophecy. And he's recording. There's this hinge point in chapter 16 when when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Because this is the test. What are you going to believe about Jesus Christ? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And immediately, Matthew records Jesus predicting for the first time his death. And there's a shift where Jesus begins to teach how you and I as believers of Jesus Christ should live our lives. And there's passage after passage about how we should conduct ourselves in this, what I would say is the end of his first coming and you and I are in this season before the second coming of Christ, which is the end time. He addresses hypocrisy, and you and I need to guard ourselves against that hypocrisy. He talks about how to live our lives, and it's in this context that we come to chapter 24 when the disciples are walking with Jesus through Jerusalem, and Jesus predicts that the temple, which we know in AD 70, was destroyed by the Roman Empire. Herod's temple was a magnificent building. It was one of the most incredible feats of architecture that, had, that was a part of the Roman Empire. Those of you that have been to Israel know that Herod was a brilliant builder. He understood about building. He understood how to accomplish building. And his goal for the temple was to be the most magnificent temple that had ever been built. And, and the, the stones that were used, it's just a, it's a, a feat of uh, mechanical science that they were able to build Herod's temple, but the Romans came and sacked Jerusalem and that, that began in the late 60s and by AD 70, everything was torn apart. And Jesus says, this is a sign of the end times. 
Now, what do we mean when we say end times? And here's how I believe that you and I can state unequivocally that we're on in the end times. I believe that the end time began at the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. A, a new age had come. He had come, he had proclaimed, demonstrated that God loved us, God sent his son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This was a part of his first coming. And so when he predicted his death, he also predicted that three days later he would rise from the grave and he did that. And after he was risen from the grave, he appeared to believers there in Jerusalem for 40 days. For 40 days, he, he, he appeared to various ones and there were stories of that fellowship. And then we find that after 40 days past the resurrection, Jesus commanded his disciples, and it's a part of the story of Matthew that we're gonna get to in a couple of weeks. But at the end, what did he tell us to do? To be filled with power so that we could what? Preach this gospel, the testimony of who Jesus is to the whole world. And then what happened? Jesus ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter one, verses 10 and 11, right there, you see the ascension of Jesus where he goes into heaven and the disciples who have been told, now go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. What do they do? They just stand there. They're like, he's gone. And angels came and said to them, Galileans, why do you stand here Looking into the, the clouds, this same Jesus that you've seen, the same way that he left, he's coming back again. Second coming. Are you with me? So I believe that you and I are living in the end times because you and I, like the Old Testament believers, believed that the first coming of Christ, well, we know that when you read scripture that when Christ comes back again, it's the end of time. So you and I, I believe, are living in end times. We call this the day of grace. It's the age of the church. Now, some people believe that the second coming is the rapture of the church. And Jesus refers to the rapture. Look with me at, at Matthew chapter 24, and let's look at verses 30 and 31. And when we look at Matthew chapter 24, I, I want you to understand I'm not looking at it through the linear reading of the scripture because I don't believe Jesus is describing the end times in a linear, but he's looking at a collage. He's looking at a picture and he's, he's going, look at this, look at this. And as you see these passages, he's seeing something that is greater. And tomorrow night at eight o'clock, I'm gonna talk to you about a God who is outside our time, who sees things differently in timings than you and I see them. But in verse 30, we have some language here. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why would they mourn? Because they've rejected who he is. The realization that he is who he says he is. When they see Jesus in his second coming, if they haven't put their faith in him, it'll be too late. 
But notice in verse 31, before this happens, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. This word gather in Latin, we get the word rapture. The word rapture, maybe you've heard that term. And so many people confuse. They say, well, when the rapture happens, the second coming happens. And the reality is, is that the rapture of the church is the gathering. It's the gathering of the believers. And and I want you to know that the, the New Testament believer, they thought that the rapture of the church, they believed in a really short age of the church, that the day of grace was going to be a very, very short period of time. And when they begin to see their, their loved ones, other believers, they knew that some of them were going to be martyred. But when people just begin to die of natural causes, they begin to question. And Paul addressed this. And I want to show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you'll turn there, I want to just show you how Paul addresses and encourages the church in this moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. At verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter five, verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. What he's saying there is, is he's reiterating from Matthew 24, we'll look at it in just a moment, that Jesus said, no one knows the hour. And so Paul is saying, we don't, we, we're not writing to you about dates and times. We're not trying to figure it out for you. But we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But here's what I want you to understand. Death, resurrection, ascension. The end times begin. We're in the day of grace where people can put their faith in Jesus Christ, that his death on the cross was effective for our salvation. But then there's going to be a resurrection, and a rapture of those who are alive in Christ. And then there's going to be, according to Revelation, seven years of tribulation. We'll talk about that a little bit later in this series, but this seven years of tribulation. Now, some have said that the rapture happens before the seven years begin. That's called pre-trib. 
There are those that from scripture teach about a mid-trib, that three and a half years in, there will be the rapture of the church. And there are those who believe in post-trib. And some of you are going, well, pastor, what do you think? I love what one of our board members, Paul O'Brien says, he believes in pan-trib, it'll all pan out in the end. I jokingly like to say, if I was God, I would let it be all three. I'd have three raptures and I'd let you go in the one you believe in. For me, I wanna go (laughs) pre-trip. I wanna be on that that bus. That's the one I wanna catch. My point is this, it doesn't matter unequivocally to try to declare this because that's not what we're instructed to do. We're instructed to be ready. And you and I need to have a heart that is ready for whenever that trumpet sounds. And the fact that we can't know is is encouragement to me. And I'm gonna explain that in just a few minutes about setting dates because through church history, people have been setting dates for the sounding of that trumpet. But I want you to know there's going to be a tribulation and then the second coming of Christ happens. Christ will come back to the earth. There will be 1,000 years of peace. There will be a a, a government that finally works. And somebody say amen. Amen. Can you imagine a government that actually can function for 1,000 years? It'd have to be God. It'd have to be God. But 1,000 years of a government that works, we're gonna talk about that next week. And then there will be the final judgment. And guess what? Time ends. As you and I know it, eternity begins and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the end times, I've kind of laid out a picture for you. Jesus is looking at a picture about signs in Matthew chapter 24. So I wanna look at this. What does Jesus teach about the end? He says there will be signs. The the disciples ask him, what will be the signs? Let's go back and look. At verse four, he says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Through the church age, there have been many who have declared themselves as the Messiah. Muhammad, David Koresh, Jim Jones, and a lot of little names out there that that you and I might not know that people who claim to be the Messiah, one of the things that we make a priority here at Lift Church is that we try not to call attention to any earthly personality. We believe there's one person worth glorifying and that is Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby you might be saved. It's the name of Jesus. We will not concede, we will not look, we won't watch Netflix shows about a Messiah. We won't give in to any of that because that's a sign And how many of you know that sign's been fulfilled? Let's go forward. Verse six, you will hear of wars and rumor of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. We've seen our fair share of wars. Some of you have served in those wars. Verse seven says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. We're facing 
an internal battle once again in the United States in this area. Continuing, it says there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Can you see that these signs, there are, the, Jesus said, these things will happen. It's a sign that you're in the end times. Verse nine is a specific reference to what takes place with the disciples, but beyond that, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. We know that all of the disciples except John were martyred for their faith. But are you aware right now that in the world there are people whose lives are being taken away from them simply because they believe in Jesus Christ? We live in one of the greatest places on the earth where we celebrate the freedom of religion and you and I can gather in this spot and proclaim Jesus' name without fear because of that. But there are people in nations right now that pastors are being arrested. There are people who are being being persecuted, being beaten, being encouraged to renounce Jesus Christ as their savior. And some of them are giving their lives. And if you don't believe that, there's a website called The Voice of the Martyrs. You can go and you can begin to pray for your brothers and sisters. This prophecy, this sign is fulfilled. Verse 10 is very, very important that we hear this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I think that's where you and I need to pause right now. Those words should alarm you. That if you and I are living in the end times, and, and, and I'm not getting into reformed theology, I'm not trying to address that, I'm just simply looking at the word. And what does it say? At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. I gotta tell you, I felt that this past few months. I felt people whose faith was shrinking. I'm not judging, I'm not calling that out, but I've even felt hatred within the body of believers, judgment toward one another. Didn't Jesus say not to judge one another? Didn't he say that they would know we're his disciples by our love for one another? You know, it's easy to love one another when things are good. It's easy to love one another when everybody's just getting along, but let a little crisis come up and what happens? It's amazing how hatred can move into the church. And you and I need to guard our hearts in this moment. We're in the end times and one of the signs is that hatred can even come into the body of believers and work its way against each other. Verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. We have to take our stand and say, we will not let love grow cold. We wanna be a church that loves and let the love start with one another. 
I'm not gonna label you anything but my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ. I'm not gonna label you because of your opinions about mask or not mask. I'm not gonna label you because of how you're gonna vote this November. I'm not gonna label you because of what you believe about what a black life or a blue life. I'm not gonna label those things because more importantly than any of that is that we love one another. I'm not going to be afraid of your fears when you post those online. I'm not gonna let your anger turn me to become an angry person. I will not let my love wax cold. I won't let because of wickedness that is all around us. And can we say there is a lot of wrong stuff going on right now, right here in the United States. There is wrong stuff going on, but I will not allow that to let my love for you draw cold. Jesus not only said that we're supposed to love one another, but what did he say about our enemies? Well, that's really good preaching. These are signs. I'm gonna stop right there. Tomorrow night at verse 15, I'm gonna pick up and we'll talk about the abomination that causes desolation and the prophet Daniel and try, he, he says, Jesus says, let the reader understand. Tomorrow night, we're gonna try to understand a little bit more about that. And next week, we're gonna put into perspective some of the passages that go from there. But can I go back to the rapture of the church? You see, the rapture of the church is a sign for the unbeliever. Like you, I, I, you know, I've thought about the rapture of the church many times. I, I listened to the audio series of The Left Behind. Uh, I had a great Bible teacher who's gone on to be with the Lord and, and uh, his views on Revelation. I remember when we uh, did... The John's literature and we looked at the gospels and first and second and third John and then when we got to Revelation and, and he would say, you know, he would say the scripture, turn to the scripture, don't turn to the Left Behind series. And uh, we took a picture of him, one of the guys in the, and this was back before I even knew there was Photoshop, but they took a, took a picture of Dr. Aker holding his Bible and teaching. And the next week we all got an email with a picture and instead of the Bible, they had photoshopped left behind. <laughs> we all laughed about that and, and he, he laughed about it too. But I need you to understand something. The rapture of the church is not so that you and I need that as a sign. We are the sign. When that trumpet sounds and the church disappears, the world's gonna have to deal with that moment. You know, in the movies, I thought it was funny, our clothes are left neatly folded. And I'm like, only God could do that because I've seen some of the bedrooms. <laughs> only God could fold all of our clothes. Like, can you imagine the trumpet sounds? We're like, we're out of here. I'm getting a robe of righteousness. Oh, let me fold my trousers before I leave. <laughs> Terry Tears told me she had one of those bumper stickers. Maybe you had it too. In case of the rapture, my vehicle will be unmanned. Like, oh, that's encouraging. Let's drive down I-75 at 80 miles an hour with that bumper sticker. But it's gonna be a sign. 
Dr. John Wolverd, one of the great Bible teachers and president of Dallas Theological Seminary before he died, talked about that there's no predictive sign of the rapture of the church. The scripture doesn't tell us about a sign that tells you and I that the rapture is about to happen. He, he used the story like this. He said, it's like this. We all know when Christmas is coming because the world puts up lights. They begin to play the music. Sometimes now, as late as September, we start seeing advertisements for Christmas. We start seeing the lights. We start, and, and by November, all the Christmas music is starting to play. And of course, we know Christmas signifies the first coming of Christ. But you know, we in America have a little holiday right before Christmas. It's called Thanksgiving. There's no signs. There's very few reminders. But we don't fail to celebrate Thanksgiving, do we? We still have that wonderful day. It kind of slips in there. We have a great day to celebrate with family, to, to focus on something, but it kind of comes and goes. Wolvert says that's the way the rapture of the church will be. That the coming, the second coming of Christ is after that. And, and this will be a sign that we are closer to the second coming. But we shouldn't set a date for it. The problem with setting dates with end time prophecy is that scripture does not give us an example of specific dates within end time prophecy. Now tomorrow night, I'm gonna show you how prophecy can be fulfilled. And instead of trying to figure it out, we should be watching it fulfilled. In verse 36 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said this, about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. You see, bad prophecy, whether it's end times prophecy or just prophecy, bad prophecy means lost influence. When COVID hit, I couldn't believe how many prophecies came out about when this was gonna end. And it's amazing how a bad prophet, you know, they'll say it's gonna end at the Passover. That, that was one I heard. And then when that didn't happen, it was going to happen in what's called the second Passover. There's a, uh, when, when a person's unclean and can't celebrate the first Passover, there's a redo date and I heard that one and now I'm kind of worried do they mean Passover of 2021 or Passover of 2022 you see the problem is when we set dates what we do is we set ourselves up for people to go I'm never going to listen to you again Jesus didn't even set the date but through church history there's been incredible church leaders who have set dates and I believe that it was out of a heart to want to call people to be ready for Jesus, but people like Martin Luther, John Wesley, Puritan Cotton Mather, scientists like Christopher Columbus, one of the recent 
false prophets that is now dead. His name was Harold Camping. Maybe you remember in 2011, he said that Jesus was coming back on May the 21st, I think it was, or May the 11th. And so out of the people who were followers of Harold Camping, he began to raise money. He raised millions of dollars to put billboards up all across the United States that Jesus was returning on May the 21st. Well, it didn't happen. So he said, I missed it. I missed it by a few months. It's gonna be in September. And then when that didn't happen, he set another date in October. And the problem with that was is that people began to listen and believe, even though the scripture says no one knows the hour, people gave themselves into that moment. One man filed a lawsuit against the, the, the religious broadcasting system that Harold Camping used because he had cashed out his 401k and sent it to buy billboards. One mother in California was charged for the murder of her two children because she was so afraid of what would happen to them if Jesus came back. A teenage girl in Russia committed suicide out of the anxiety of believing that Jesus was coming back. One family filed bankruptcy because when they fell into the prophecy, they, they went, they said, you know what? We're gonna max out all of our credit cards and see every site in the United States we've ever wanted to see before Jesus comes back. Well, when he didn't come back, the bills came in. My question to the idea of setting dates is if you knew Jesus was coming back 30 days from now, what would it do? Would you go max out your credit cards? How should we respond? Well, Jesus says in verse 42, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. Don't despair, but hope. Verse four, we, he, he said, watch out. Watch out for deceptions. Watch out for false teaching. Watch out for people who try to set a date. In verses 10 through 13, we saw stand firm in the faith. But in verse 42, keep watch with anticipation. Can I tell you something? The rapture of the church is not something that should cause despair. It should bring you hope. It should bring you hope. We call it the blessed hope. I wanna illustrate it like this. Do you remember as a child the first time you went on a road trip, I'm not talking about a two hour drive. I'm talking about one of those, get up at two in the morning and drive till midnight to get to your destination. Do you remember that as a kid? Do you remember, uh, uh, some of you can remember this, some of you young ones maybe don't remember this, but we didn't have a phone that we could watch movies and play games. We didn't have screens, but we had this big old book called an atlas. 
and it had maps in it and you could go to the tables and you could figure out miles. Ben, I know you're too young to even understand how this works, but you could look and you could divide by the speed limit, which back in that day was 55. What a, what a dumb number because it's hard to do the math with 55. But you could figure out, okay, it's gonna, we could get there by this time. And, and so, but as you were on the road, you're in the back seat and many of you had that middle chassis hump. And if you were the kid who got the middle seat, how miserable was that? Thank God we didn't have to wear seatbelts back then. And you'd be going down the road. And I remember the first time that we came to Florida from Arkansas on this long journey. And so I would map out these things and I knew how long it should take to get to Hattiesburg. And I was doing the math, but I would see a sign, Hattiesburg, 32 miles. Then I'd see a sign to Mobile, Alabama, I grew up in a little old bitty town in Arkansas. We didn't have a McDonald's. And so I would be looking, I would be watching for golden arches because I'm telling you to get a stop at McDonald's was the biggest treat. Like I had no idea how great Disney World was gonna be, but, but I knew McDonald's. And when I would see that, you know what I would start to say? Oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. I gotta go to the bathroom. Dad, I gotta go to the bathroom. Because if by chance we could pull into the golden arches, I knew that on the back end of that trip to the bathroom, there was gonna be a cheeseburger, amen? But then somewhere after Mobile, and if you've ever driven I-10, it is a long ways across the panhandle of Florida, isn't it? After that cheeseburger, you just start to drift off. As exciting as it is to see things, as exciting as it is, the only thing that can keep you going is the idea of we're going to Disney World because you just want out of the car, don't you? The hope is, gets replaced by despair. But then you see a sign, Orlando. 60 miles. You go, oh, we're getting closer. And then you see the sign, Walt Disney World exit, two miles. But when you started that journey, not even that atlas could tell you how long it was gonna take to get there. Why? Because of orange construction cones that you didn't know were gonna be there. A detour here. A necessary stop there. Only your father knew when you were gonna get there. But when you saw the off-ramp, it was worth it. That long journey, that, that, that day after day, trusting in the father because he knows what we're going through right now. He knows every battle that we're facing. He knows the despair. And here we are sitting in the back seat going, are we there yet, God? Are we there yet? How much farther, God? How much farther? But I wanna tell you something, you just gotta hold on because there's an off-ramp coming. It's called the rapture of the church. You don't have to hold on much longer because the Father knows when he's gonna pull you off 
and he's gonna say, welcome home. No more sickness, no more death, no more sorrow. Everything you could have ever imagined in this earth is now going to be more than you can imagine in the presence of God that will never cease. No, no battles, no attacks from the enemy, nothing that can come against you because God will bring you into his presence. They didn't blow trumpets for me when I arrived at Disney World. They're gonna blow trumpets for us when we go to heaven, amen? But we need to keep watch. Keep watch. What does that mean, pastor? Watch your heart. Don't let hatred come in. Don't let these moments, and if you're watching online or if you're in this room, and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not ready for the off-ramp. Jesus has done everything that needs to be done to make you ready. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God, that his death on the cross has paid for every sin. You, you see, you gotta be in the car if you wanna go where God wants to take you. And I'm talking symbolically about that, but you need to understand it's faith that gets you to the off-ramp. And it's not faith in what good you could do. It's not faith in any other name but Jesus Christ. But you have to put your faith in him. And if you're here right now, I want to invite you to just begin to pray. And I want to lead you. I want to help you. But if you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to lead you right where you're sitting, watching online, in this room. We call it the family prayer because we believe we're in this journey together. And this first expression of faith in Jesus Christ is what we call the family prayer and we say it together. And if you need to put your faith, if you need to be ready for that off ramp, I wanna encourage you right now to say this prayer with me. Dear God, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner Forgive me of my sins. I put my faith in you. I believe in you, Jesus. Amen. I want us to do a couple of things before we leave this room. I'm really wanting to seat within your heart this moment of guarding against hatred and betrayal of one another. The Old Testament prophets would pray not only for their own lives, but they would pray for their nation, Israel. I want us to pray for our nation. I want us to pray for our, our own hearts, but I want us to pray for the heart of our country. And the Old Testament prophets would pray prayers of repentance. And I think this is a part of watching and being ready, not falling asleep and just going, you know, everything's just gonna happen out there and it is what it is, but I'm good. No, 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 let's participate right now. And I just wanna encourage you for the next two or three minutes. If you wanna kneel down or if you wanna stand or you wanna stay right where you're at, but could we enter into a moment of consecration and repentance in our own hearts? 
Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you haven't checked out yet. Repentance means to say, God, this isn't right. I will say it's wrong. And I take my stand against what is wrong and say, God, I want you to fix me and fix my country. Would you do that right now? I'm just gonna kneel right here and pray for a few minutes of repentance. I want to invite you to stand. Before we go, I want us to take hold of hope. You see, because of our repentance, we can say that the forgiveness and the grace of God, his favor is upon you. His favor is upon me. We don't grieve like the rest of the world grieves because we have hope. And if you walked into this room with despair in your life, I want you to know part of guarding your heart is to say, I will not walk in despair, but I believe in the off ramp. I'm not talking about escaping this world. I'm talking about a promise from God that he will make things right. That when we pray in repentance, we are saying, God, we can't make it right, but you can. And that's our hope is that he can make all things new. Take hold of hope right now. God, we take hold of hope. We declare our hope is in you today. And we can sing that song we sang, the blessing, amen, because it is done. So be it. 
Thank you for checking out this week's episode of the Lift Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and to help support this ministry, visit us online at liftchurch.com.